Hello and welcome to The Fantastically Terrible Podcast, episode 33, Gawain and the Green Knight. Heads are gonna roll. Temptation, sex, magic, and beheadings. This is the tale of Gawain and the Green Knight. Gawain is Arthur's nephew, a young knight in King Arthur's court who must face his deepest fears and anxieties while facing a supernatural giant known as the Green Knight. He's a lean and green head-chopping machine. The fantastically terrible character or creature this week is King Edward III of England and his Order of the Garter. Let's introduce the main players. Let's. Yes. First, we'll start with Gawain. 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 <laughs> he was Arthur's nephew and represented the perfect knight. He was a lover, a fighter, a religious devotee. I'm a, a lover. Gawain. Gawain is a pinnacle of humidity. <laughs> humidity. Gawain is a pinnacle of humility, piety, integrity, loyalty, and honesty. His only flaw. No, no, not like Captain Kirk. His only flaw is, if you can call it that, his fear of death. The Green Knight is the giant-sized, mysterious visitor to Camelot. Two things definitely set him apart. He towers over the other men, and he was green. Like the ho-ho-ho green giant. <laughs> or vice versa. <laughs> or vice versa. Yeah, actually, it's probably vice versa. He says that he comes in friendship, but the friendly game he proposes is quite deadly. King Arthur is a medieval mythological figure who was the head of the kingdom of Camelot and the Knights of the Round Table. He may or may not have been based on a real historical figure. He is a blend of Welsh, English, and French folklore. Burlac of Haute Desert. Haute Desert. Ooh, so French. Is the friendly lord of the castle where Gawain is spending the Christmas New Year holiday. He's loud, strong, brave, and generous. We only learn his name at the end of the story. And that's all we'll say about him for now. Thank you. Lady Bertilak is described as a beautiful young woman. She tries to seduce Gawain three times. She's very clever in her attempts to convince Gawain to sleep with her. But each time he turns her down. Morgan Le Fay is Arthur's half-sister and powerful sorceress. La Fay means witch or fairy. She's generally seen as Arthur's magical protector. Over time, her moral ambivalence is emphasized more. They portray her with an unpredictable nature with the potential for both good and evil. I think if we look at our previous episode on Loki and the Norse mythology, they would have been a good match. A little Loki, a little Morgan Le Fay. It's a very unpredictable relationship. Mm-hmm. Sometimes really funny stuff could happen. Let the comedy ensue. Yeah. Let's begin our story. Let's, let's. A giant man on a horse rides into Arthur's court while they're celebrating New Year's Eve. It's quite a way to make an entrance. He challenges them to a game, but Arthur and the others size up the stranger and have a pretty good idea that this might end badly. 
the Green Knight throws down his challenge. He says that if someone will take his axe and strike at his neck, he will take that blow. However, the same knight will have to do the same one year and one day later. Even Arthur pauses. The Green Knight chastises them for their cowardice. Is this the court for its courage renowned? His insistence on playing games and his slow reaction to the Green Knight's challenge illustrate just how young King Arthur is. After all, the story takes place during the Golden Age of Camelot. However, Arthur soon regains his composure and steps forward to accept the challenge. But before he does, Sir Gawain steps in and assumes Arthur's place out of loyalty. Gawain just wants to know his challenger's name. The Green Knight brushes aside Gawain's request and tells him that he has a year to find out where the Green Knight lives. Once he succeeds, he will learn his name. At this point, Gawain doesn't know what to do and tries again to ask for directions. The Green Knight rolls his eyes. You'll find out more in the new year. It'll be a holistic type deal where one thing will lead to another and if you're worthy, you'll find my home. Now stop asking me questions. Let's get to some head chopping. I've got a schedule to keep. Now remember, you have a year and a day to find me and receive the return strike. Gawain gulped hard. <clears throat> Never one to shy away from his duty, but wishing he had more information, he takes the axe and gets ready to strike the Green Knight. The Green Knight smiles and says, Let me make it easier for you. I'll just move my leafy hair aside so you can get a better view of my neck. Like I said, I've got a tight schedule today. <laughs> Gwen nods, holds the axe tightly, plants his feet, raises the axe, and strikes! The Green Knight's head is cut clean off of his neck and thuds to the floor. It rolls to a group of onlooking knights and like something out of Monty Python's Holy Grail, the story says, and I quote, The blood gushed from the body, bright on the green, yet fell not the fellow, nor faltered a whit, but stoutly he starts forth upon stiff shanks. The giant's head is on the floor, and his body's still standing. Bright green blood is gushing from the gush, open neck. Gush, gush, gush. But... The Green Knight does not panic. He might have even said, It's only a flesh wound. <laughs> then, <laughs> then his headless body straightens as if nothing has happened, walks towards the head, picks it up by the hair. I picture him brushing his shoulders off a little. Yeah. You know, being all Mr. Cool. I think, you know, maybe make his own head. Kind of talk, you know, like, is that know. all you got? That's it, maybe. <laughs> you never know. That's my, I got a terrible British accent. <laughs> so do I, it's okay. Yeah. It's just for fun. He then gets on his horse and rides away. How cool is that? Picks up his head and rides away. 
It's like, yeah, that's that's nice. You can't get that's cool nice, anymore. kid. That's all you got. That's so manly. It's like a men and bye men and you it's know those commercials. So toxically Damn. masculine. Yeah, it's like drop the mic. It's toxic so toxic masculinity. It's so toxic. <laughs> it's but he's green, so he he he, he absorbs the, the toxicity and oozes the masculinity. Nice, nice. Yes. Nice. Okay. So he then gets on his horse and he rides away. Needless to say. Gwen and Arthur and the others are dumbfounded. I mean, like, if someone did that to you, Seriously, you'd probably be like... speechless. Dude picked up his head and walked out with it. <laughs> yo, yo, dude picked up his own head! Yo, snap. And he rode off on a hose. That's whack. Yo. Now, once... That was a whack-ass... <laughs> I won't say it. Once the Green Knight survives the blow, they all realize that Gwen has a year to find the Green Knight and receive the return strike. Which will almost surely mean his death. Wow. Sucks to be you, Gwen. And if I were you, I'd parted like it's $13.99. I wish we had the rights to play that song right now by Prince. No, we can't. No, we can't. No. But that wasn't Gawain's style. That's right. Even though he was tricked into the agreement, since the Green Knight never mentioned he could magically lose his head and survive. You'd think that was a loophole. Yeah, well, you know... I have to say that if someone says lop my head off and he's a giant green man, that chances are he's magical. But that might be because we lived in New York for so long. Yeah. That we don't trust anyone. <laughs> they need in some this, New Yorkers at the round table. World. I don't know. That guy. In that guy. <laughs> that guy. He's green. He's big. He's telling you there's something to that guy. That's right. Something's going on with that guy. <laughs> I don't know why this is turning into the Sopranos all of a sudden. That guy, that guy. <laughs> Forget about it. Forget about it. <laughs> Gwen refused to back out of their deal. He made a promise and he would see it to the end. What a man. After 10 months had passed, Gwen set out through the wilderness in search of the Green Chapel. Ho, 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 Green Chapel. <laughs> Just as the Green Knight had described in his holistic, everything-is-connected kind of way, Gawain finds a castle on Christmas Day. The loud and friendly lord of the castle, Bertilac de Haute-Dizel, invites Gawain in and introduces himself and his wife, Lady Bertilac, and an old woman who's in a position of honor, but her relationship to them is a little unclear. When Gawain says he can't stay long because he's looking for the Green Chapel, Lord Bertilac shares some good news. Hey, the Green Chapel's just two miles away. It's just down the road. The young knight can kick back and relax for a few days. It seems even Gawain, the pinnacle of honor and piety, still likes to party. He's very European. They all really like to he's party. He's very European. Perhaps. You got you, you got to have your downtime. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day, as you would expect in a tale like this, things get a little bit strange. Lord Bertilac is about to go hunting, but asks if Gawain would like to have a bit of fun. Gawain agrees because why not get into another unknown bet with a stranger while on his way to lose his head from the last bet he agreed to from an unknown stranger. Yeah, 
Bertilak's challenge is a quid pro quo. He'll go out hunting and give Gawain whatever he catches, but Gawain must do the same and give whatever he gains at the castle to Bertilak. One might ask, in a modern context, what can he possibly gain while being a guest in someone else's house? But that wouldn't be very chivalrous. We have to stay in the context of the story. Yes. Once Lord Bertilak leaves, ba-boom, bum-ba-bum, his young and beautiful wife tries to seduce him. Or maybe I should say, bum-chick-bum-bum. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah, that... Uh... But Gawain holds firm and tries his best to politely decline her request. You know, that's... that that He, he let down Captain Kirk. Ooh, yeah. Kirk would have handled things differently. You know, He'd like, have yeah, his cake and yeah, eat it, too. You know. But he wasn't chivalrous. <laughs> no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. In the end, she gets Gawain to agree to give her one kiss. So when Bertilak returns home, he shows off the deer that he caught and gives it to Gawain and asked if he had anything to share. The young knight gives him a kiss, but says nothing else. When Bertilak asks about his gains and how he got them, Gawain says, hey, that wasn't part of our deal. Mm -hmm. That night, they ate and drank and had a good time. The next day, the same thing happens. Lady Bertilak tries to seduce Gawain again. But he resists and keeps his honor intact. Now, what's interesting is that today, honor would be seen as something that is only for women. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that here it's the knight that has to keep his honor intact. You're correct. They did a little role reversal here and have her pursue him. Right. Which is unusual in these tales. Right. You know, and the whole honor intact is usually like, that's like a scene where a woman mm -hmm. has to keep her honor mm -hmm. intact. She only relents when he agrees to two kisses. When Lord Bertlack returns home, he presents a wild boar. In exchange, Gwen gives him two kisses, but says nothing more. On the third day, after her husband leaves, Lady Bertlack is at it again. Bow chicka bow bow. Yeah, she's trouble. Although she's even harder to resist, and he is on the verge of giving in. He's going about to go Captain Kirk, if you know what I mean. He is. It's going to be the Green Martian. <laughs> Gwen stays true and refuses. So he, he succumbs to Spock in this situation. He stays true. She then makes a clever change in her strategy. She offers him a ring, but Gwen says, thanks, but no thanks. He didn't want anyone thinking that they were a couple or you know involved or anything. She then tries something else. She offers Gwen her green and gold silk girdle, and three kisses. When she notices he's still not biting, she says it's magic with the power to protect a person who wears it. Yeah, yeah, sure, it's magic, it's magic. Take it. <laughs> She's really won't try to get away, huh? Thinking he might need a bit of magic to help him survive the Green Knight's axe, he has a moment of weakness as he contemplated his imminent death and agrees to accept the gift. When Lord Birdlack returns, he offers Gwen his catch of the day, a fox. In exchange, Gwen gives him three kisses, but keeps the girdle secret and says nothing. It may be a coincidence that Birdlack's last offering 
is a cunning fox. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's too much of a coincidence in yeah. these stories. The day finally arrived when Gwen had to meet his fate. Wearing the girdle of protection, Gwen heads to the Green Chapel to face his adversary. Gwen refuses to run away from his oath. So, you know, it shows the human side. Yeah. It's as not... perfect as he is, he's still a little bit afraid of dying. Well, we I imagine all of us would sort of imagine of like trying to find a way out of a situation. Yes, That's just yes. natural. So he fought the urge to leave. Right. But still was a little bit afraid, which is normal. It's normal. Mm-hmm. Gwen suddenly freezes. He hears the ominous sound of a blade pressing against a grindstone. As a blade is sharpened, he turns to see a giant figure of what he has feared most. The Green Giant. No. The Green Giant. No. The Green Giant. No. The Green Giant. The Green Knights. Holy smokes. <laughs> Can you say that again? The Green Knights. The huge monster of a man smiles and welcomes Gwen. He holds his axe up to his eye, plucks out a leafy hair from his head, slices it in two. There. Now it's ready. Gwen, I have to hand it to you. I'm impressed that you honored our agreement and showed up. Let's not waste any more time. It's time for some heads to roll. (laughs) Then he laughed loudly. (laughs) Slapped his leg. Aw, man, I'm too funny. (laughs) Gawain was petrified. It took all of his willpower to force his legs to move. He walked towards the chopping block, laid his head upon it, and exposed his neck just as the Green Knight had done a year before. The Green Knight raised his axe, but at the last moment, Gawain flinched, and the blade stopped short of its target. The Green Knight's expression turned angry and impatient. Are you kidding me right now? You're going to come all this way. Lay your head on the block and then flinch like a coward? You don't deserve to be a knight at Arthur's court. Do you think this is all fun and games? Life is always on the verge of death. If you can't accept your own death for a greater cause, then you have no business dressing up like a fighter. As I suspected at Camelot, you all like to pretend to be chivalrous, pure-hearted, but it's not true. Let's try again to see if you can redeem yourself. The Green Knight lifted his axe a second time, let it down with all his force, and then stopped just short of Gawain's neck. Then he let out a loud belly laugh and said something like, (laughs) Oh man, you should have seen your face. (laughs) That was priceless. This enrages Gawain. What's wrong with you? Let's get this over with. Don't play games with me. I'm ready this time. The Green Knight lifted the axe for a third time. Gawain closed his eyes and prayed. The jolly executioner was so precise with his weapon that he brought down the axe 
and then stopped the blade after it cut a thin layer of skin on Gawain's neck. Gawain opened his eyes in disbelief. His body relaxed for the first time in a year. The green knight stands up, swings his axe casually over his shoulder, and laughs. <laughs> it's over. You've done well. Gawain is gobsmacked. He can't believe he's still alive. The Green Knight says something like, I believe I owe you an explanation. I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Lord Bertilak. Gawain's eyes grow wide with shock. Your three days at my castle were meant to tempt you. The two feigned axe strokes represent the first two days of our hunting exchange game. You faithfully gave me everything you won the first two days. However, on that third day, you decided to keep the green girdle a secret. For that misdemeanor, I left a small cut on your neck. Wait just a minute, Gawain says. You mean you were in on it with your wife to seduce me? Whoa! <laughs> Come on, whoa! Indeed! We were in on it together and worked with Morgan Le Fay, the old woman you met at my castle, to see if you were worthy of being a knight at King Arthur's court. Jeez, that's kind of a... ick. The Green Knight, Lord Birdlack, interrupts before Gwaine's head explodes. Fear not, dear Gwaine. My wife is both beautiful and faithful. If you actually tried to sleep with her, I would have killed you. <laughs> to which Gwaine just rubbed the cut on the back of his neck. But let's not worry about that. I'm convinced that you are the most honorable man alive. Your only sin was your inability to fully surrender your life. But we're human, and that's understandable. But Gwen judges his sin from the standard of perfection, from which even the smallest flaw is intolerable. He cursed his cowardice and fear. He looks at the girdle and vows to wear it as a baldric. A baldric is a belt worn diagonally over the shoulder. The Green Knight is more forgiving. He invites Gwen to celebrate with a feast. The young knight is truly remorseful and wants to win back the Green Knight's respect. The knight says the 14th century version of, Ah, forget about it. When Gawain returns to the court, Arthur and the others received him back with open arms. Out of love for him, they wear the green baldrics that look just like Gawain's, to share in his guilt and to remind them of their own weaknesses. They seem to understand that people are, by nature, imperfect. Gawain is the ultimate idealist, while the court, like the Green Knight, are a bit more realistic. Before we end the story, who's behind this trick against Gawain? Who put Bertilak and his wife up to such a scheme? That would be Morgan Le Fay, Arthur's half-sister, the sorceress. She devised this whole elaborate trick, which both Bertilak and his wife have been forced to play. Honestly, I'm not sure how they were forced. I couldn't find that. But that's how the story explains things. Morgan Le Fay wanted to test the virtue of her brother's knights. So what do you think of that tale? It's definitely from an older story. Morgan Le Fay is either added into it later, mm -hmm. and it was probably just a green man. There's no temptation. That's more of a Christian thing. Mm -hmm. And it was probably straight up just like him about to lose his head. 
or that Morgan Le Fay is a Celtic goddess. Yeah, she was Le Fay, you know, is fairy. Fairy, Fay yeah. is fairy, in my opinion. I think the story would be better if it ended with the Green Knight being supernatural. Right. In other I, words, if the Green Knight and Morgan Le Fay were one. Sure, or separate. They didn't have no, to be No, meaning the same. she's the supernatural element. She doesn't have to be in it. Because she, she sort of loops it back out. to Arthur. I think it would be better if it was just the story of the Green Knight. He right. comes in. He does everything the same, but he is not Lord Bertilak. He's just himself, the supernatural being who was testing Right, not under the King control Arthur. of Morgan Le Fay. Yeah, and then, and then it brings yeah. out the contrast. He represents nature. By virtue of him being part of nature, is always virtuous. Well, And he's always courageous, and he's always able to control his fear of death because he you know the whole thing with the green knight is renewal right and it's a contrast to the court which is very stuck on rituals and on being uber chivalrous and polite and kind words they're really stuck in this formality well, you could Whereas look at the it. green knight is the opposite, boisterous, all of those things, but without any of the formality and the structure that controls the knights at the round table. Well, I could break, for me, I could break it down like this. Break it down. Camelot is ur- urban. All yeah, the formalities yeah, that's a good of urban. Point. Like the city, you're right. He is nature. Civilization, if you we will. We humans see ourselves separate from nature yes, for whatever that's right, dumb that's reason right. it is. So we kind of think of death as unnatural uh-huh. whereas he is both death and life mm-hmm. and that's why he's a trickster and that's why next week we will do an episode just on the green knight you mean the green man the green man which is the green knight because I, I really want to get into his origins and just how old the stories of him are yeah and it's more than celtic it goes back to Mesopotamia. it's older than that it's roman yeah. it's older than roman very it's found all so around come the world back next week the poem is also very interesting because it really goes into detail on Gawain's deepest fears and anxieties. Right. So it's really analyzing his psychology and how he not only has failings and weaknesses, but then how he overcomes them. Scholars have pointed out parallels between the girdle Birdlack's wife offers Gawain and the fruit Eve offered Adam in the biblical Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Again, so Christian to tie the woman into tempting and to causing the fall of man. Yeah, it's interesting because when you read more of the raw Celtic stories, Uh none of that's present. No, it's not. They don't always put women in the role, the only role of temptress and uh, the one who causes. Yeah, that's just not present. No. But anyways, there are those parallels, though, in this version of the story. And one thing I found interesting was the pentangle. And the number five held a lot of significance. Mm. And the court the court of King Arthur is governed, of course, by strict codes of behavior. The prize piece of Gawain's significant armor is a shield decorated with a five-pointed star, which they call a pentangle. According to the poem, the biblical Solomon originally designed a magic seal from a five-pointed star. So not the six-pointed star of David. The star has five points that link and lock with each other, forming an endless knot. Interesting. To the knights, it's a symbol of truth. 
each point of each point represents the virtues to which Gawain aspires. And we might as well go into those five points. Okay, let's go. All right. The first is to be faultless in his five senses. So to have everything under control. Boy. Which, if you think about it, is very Eastern, right? To ignore, if you put it in a Buddhist or in a Indian yogi, well, Buddha is Indian as well, but if you well, put it... <laughs> that's he what literally was in uh, You know, it's to try to separate your senses from the world around you. Mm-hmm. Never to fail in his five fingers. And I looked it up just to make sure, and it just means his hands will not fail him in battle. Mm-hmm. To be faithful to the five holy wounds... And again, I looked this up. It means the five piercing wounds that Jesus Christ received during the crucifixion. To That's... always show brotherly love, courtesy, piety, and chastity. And then the last one, which often gets missed because it sounds very Catholic. Well, back then it was Catholic. That's right. That's the thing with these Unless stories. They make Const- it very British and then they just ignore these Unless parts. you're in Constantinople and then you're Orthodox. Yes, but they also... But they also had the Virgin. They also had the Virgin Mary. So the last point is to be strengthened by the five joys of the Virgin Mary. Okay. So what were these five for any non-Catholics out there? They were the Annunciation, which is when the Archangel Gabriel told Mary that she would conceive and bear a son who would be the Messiah. Okay. The Nativity, which is basically Christmas, the birth of Jesus... The resurrection, when Jesus rose from the dead. The ascension, when Jesus ascended to heaven in bodily form. Mm-hmm. So he didn't, he wasn't dead, he was alive. Mm-hmm. And this is very Catholic. I don't know if any of the other religions acknowledge this, but the assumption. Is that like assuming? Yes. I'm just kidding. They assume. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> when Mary ascended to heaven in bodily form, which is similar to Enoch or Elijah. It's not in the Bible. It's just a a Catholic belief. She was whisked into heaven while still alive. To emphasize this a little bit more, what's on the side of the shield that faces Gawain? Mm. Right? The outside is the pentangle. On the inside is the image of the Virgin Mary, which helps Gawain to keep his courage and to never lose heart. Fantastically terrible character or creature this week is King Edward III. So I found something that I think you will enjoy. So I want to see your reaction to this. Okay. I'm going to call this Life is Stranger Than Fiction. Is this a new section now? No, it's tied to this and you will see. Okay. But I, I particularly researched this just for you. Oh, thank you. If you think this little story of Gawain and the Green Knight didn't inspire a real-life war... Well, you just don't understand European history. <laughs> the final line of the poem, which I'm going to butcher right now, Oni soit qui mal pense, has puzzled most scholars who consider it a later edition, not the work of the poet, and possibly not even the work of the scribe who copied the rest of the manuscript. Mm-hmm. That line that I just butchered is the motto of the Order of the Garter, usually translated as shame to him 
who thinks evil of it. Wait a second. The okay. Order of the Garter? Yes, I Is that have like a bridegroom? link to this. Is that like grooms? The order. I think this is why we still do this, and I will get into what the Order of the Garter is. Okay. This order was founded by King Edward III in 1348 to honor the knights who loyally fought with him in France. The order's emblem is a blue garter rather than a green belt, although the garter looks a lot like the belt. Tradition says the motto originated while Edward was dancing with the Countess of Salisbury and her garter fell off. Edward picked it up and fastened it around his leg, admonishing the amused onlookers with the line that became the order's motto. Shame to him who thinks evil of it. And that's from Cliff Notes, helping students for ages now. And I'll have a so link to that. So is their theme song. Da, 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 da. Was that like their... Oh, like the stripper da, song? Da, 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 da. I, That's the, the, the Order of the Garters theme song. <laughs> so I'm going to continue now with... King Edward had a personal fascination with King Arthur. When he founded the Order of the Garter, he wanted to recreate the round table. Both Gawain and the Order received their emblem from a lovely lady and the garter and the belt are similar in form. The motto was used by Edward in his claim to the throne of France in 1337, which started the Hundred Years' War with France. So he admired and wanted to emulate King Arthur. We do not take your garter! <laughs> and we say no! <laughs> and as the name of the Hundred Years' War might imply... This major war in the Middle Ages lasted for five generations of kings. Spoiler oh alert, God. France won. <laughs> Just in case you don't know who won that war. Oh, man. Part of why I mentioned this, and, uh, you, and I funny. knew you'd find it amusing, towards the end of the Hundred Years' War, the extraordinary life of Joan of Arc happens. Right, right. And honestly, I think that she should be a future episode. Yeah. And I also think she would have made an excellent night at Arthur's round table. That would have been very interesting. I think she would have been perfect. I mean, they even had black knights, so why not a woman? They did, as we mentioned in a previous episode. Yes. And but why not a woman? Go, yeah, I, I think Joan of Arc would have made a fabulous mm. knight. Better than Edward III. So it's very interesting. You might be insulting a lot of British people right now. There's debate on him. Some think he's the greatest and some criticize him. Uh, but I do he think it's interesting. He lived in 1348. Because the Celts it's were in hilarious. France and a lot of the stories of Merlin Not and Morgan Not the Order of Excalibur. The Garter. Okay? <laughs> like, come on. Come on now. <laughs> Girdle, Garter, Potato, Patata. You're gonna, I mean, like, Excalibur. Yes. The but he really tried to tie his rationale for why he had a claim to the throne of France to this Arthurian legend. When I was a kid and I watched Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. Monty Python's Holy Monty Grail? Monty Python's okay. Holy Grail. And there was the exchange between the peasant and King Arthur mm-hmm. and about the whole, you know, getting swords from Lady in the Lake. Mm-hmm. I thought it was funny. But when I got older and I realized how much of these stories actually affected problems like this. Like even today. I thought it was hilarious. If you look up Queen Elizabeth and you go back they think their lineage ties to, to King Arthur. Arthur. It's funny. 
that uh, that's funny. how they have their claim to the throne through King Arthur, who was uh, a mythical figure, perhaps tied to someone real or not. But it is. It's very it's interesting. It's very cosplay. That's why I say it's a life is stranger <laughs> than fiction type story. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. You like that? I love it. All right. I love it. And I hope I didn't insult anybody. I just like having... If anyone gets insulted by us teasing King Edward III, they need to get a checkup from the neck up. Well, you know what? I'll be honest with you. My ancestor was part of the crew that killed Charles I, so that could be part of what motivates me to just laugh at You kings. don't like the kings? Ah, the kings. Not right. going to happen. All right. <laughs> That's it for today. Seven Robots Fantastically Terrible. Podcast is by Miguel Guerra and Susie Diaz and written by Susie. We want to thank everyone for listening. If you enjoy our show, we're so happy. If you haven't subscribed or followed us yet, please do. It really helps us out with our statistics. And honestly, we don't know you're listening unless you let us know. So please like this episode or even leave a comment and say hello. We'd love to hear from you. For more information on this episode, including links to everything we reference, please visit our website at www.7robots.com slash podcast. Remember to check out Ghost Metal, our free comic on Webtoon, and now on Tapas. Read each week as we serve you bite-sized sci-fi and horror stories on a macabre menu of detestable delights. A new episode is up every Friday for your abhorrent amusement. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.